you wonder how the ancient truth of the Bible intersects with today's news? Do you believe in God's promises to the people and the land of Israel? Welcome to the Lone Star Podcast, a weekly conversation to expand your mind and encourage your soul. Our hosts live in the two Lone Star states, Rabbi Dove Lipman in Israel and Pastor Trey Graham in Texas. This podcast is your opportunity to learn the truth about the God of Israel from two people who love Israel. Please follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new weekly episodes are ready. You ready to be encouraged? Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham. We do welcome you, and we are glad to be with you each week. This is Pastor Trey Graham and my good friend, Rabbi Dove Lippman, and we bring you this podcast because it is our chance to visit with you and visit with each other about the Word of God each week, the Torah portion, and to talk about some current events and news stories. And Rabbi, we often bring news stories to our listeners, and sometimes that means bad news because it's about military conflict or tragedies that happen. I think the biggest news story of this week is in America, this is Thanksgiving week, and it's a time for us to look back on how the Lord has blessed us and to be thankful. It's not a time for football and turkey? Well, the Dallas Cowboys do play every year on Thanksgiving, and that's a good thing. But since your Redskins are not doing so well, and I think we ought to stay away from football and focus on all the other things that we have to be thankful for. And if either of our teams ever wins another Super Bowl, we'll be very thankful for that. But pending that miracle happening, let's talk about the blessings of the Lord, the blessings of family, the blessings of a congregation or a community to be involved in. And then this week's Torah portion is going to talk to us about being thankful. But let me just ask you, Rabbi, how do you define thankfulness? Well, you know, we uh, begin our day the very first words out of our mouth when our alarm clock goes off and we hit that button, we say the words, Moda Ani Lefanecha. We give thanks to God for giving us our lives, for giving us a new day. It really sets the tone for the entire day. That, that you know, The first words are not anything about me or taking care of my own needs. It's about expressing uh, thanks to God for this gift of life. And I think that that's what thanks is very much looking outside of yourself and looking towards others. It could be other human beings who help you, uh, but certainly, ultimately, uh, it all comes back to God. And, and that's the most important uh, trait that we can have. You know, we are actually, uh, we, you know, we'll talk about this later when we get to the Torah portion, but, but the actual Jew, that terminology, Jew, comes from Judah, which we'll see actually comes from the word thanks. So the very essence of who we are has to be people of what we call hakarat hatov, recognizing the good that's been done to us, and uh, that really identifies a person as one who's not self-absorbed, but willing to be consumed with recognizing what others have done for them, and certainly the, the Lord as well. What does the uh, Christian faith have to say about the concept of thanks? We are always thankful to the Lord because we do have life. We've been given health. We've been given so many blessings. I choose to quote from a couple of different verses, Lamentations chapter 3. And Lamentations, as our listeners probably know, is a very sad book in most of its passages. But Lamentations 3, verse 22 and 23, The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so, as you just said, every morning that we have life, the blessing of another day is a gift from the Lord. 
And by the way, that verse which you just quoted, again, is the middle of Lamentations, which is talking about terrible destruction and terrible suffering and terrible persecution. And the commentaries point out that that's a little beacon of light in the middle of that. We're reminded God's grace and God's kindness is still with us. We still have life. We still have hope. We still have possibilities, even in the darkest of times. And, and to, to be able to give thanks in those times uh, is the real challenge. And we have another verse which says uh, in Psalms, Tov lahodot lahashem lozamelashim chalayon. It's good to give thanks to God. And then the critical point is the end of that verse, which says, Lahagid baboker chasdecha, to talk about your kindness in the morning, but our faith in you at night. And the commentaries talk about that that thanks is not just in the good times, but even when we're struggling, even when there's challenges, to always focus on the good that we have and to make sure that we can express the thanks even in those challenging times. The related verse to that from the New Testament would be Philippians 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And what we teach about that verse is on our hard days, on our difficult days, in the dark moments, we can bring our prayers, we can bring our requests to the Lord. He's ready to receive us. He's ready to hear us. And so we can be thankful, as I often tell our church, that when we call on the Lord, there's never a busy signal. Our calls are always received by our Father. And there's really a powerful point to that. You know, we, I, I remember growing up, discussion about Thanksgiving, and people saying, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? You know, you should be giving, giving thanks every day. It shouldn't be one day. I do see tremendous value in shining light on the concept of thanks one day a year. Yes, the message should be that there's thanks every day. Like I said, that's how we wake up in the morning. But just shining light on the idea of thanks and making sure that people who maybe don't give thanks every day do have that even one time a year where they gather around the table and they talk about what they're thankful for. I think that's a very important message. We actually don't have a Thanksgiving uh, holiday uh, in, in Israel. Uh, there's no doubt that the concept of thanks permeates uh, Israeli society. Uh, but I do think uh, there is a real value in that as a nation, certainly in the United States, uh, to have a day like that to, to be able to spread that notion uh, of thanks and certainly hope that people take advantage of that. And yes, enjoy the sports and enjoy the, the food and enjoy the family time, but use it also uh, as a day of, of thanks and spirituality. So talk about that a little more. You are a former American. You are now an Israeli citizen, and you grew up in America. And you say that, of course, you experienced and celebrated Thanksgiving as a family every year. But that's a missing part of the Israeli Jewish calendar. And there are so many holidays on the Jewish calendar, but a specific day for Thanksgiving is not one. How do you incorporate the idea of Thanksgiving, or said another way, did you bring your American celebrations to Israel with you? <laughs> well, first of all, uh, before I get to my personal side, there there is, you know, in Judaism, there's a concept of Karban Toda, which was a sacrifice of thanks, and there are various holidays. So, for example, when we offer, you know, that with the, on Passover and other holidays, there's tremendous uh, expression of thanks. Every Sabbath, we also offer uh, prayers of thanks. And even in our daily prayer, 
uh, three times a day, we have a prayer which says, we, we bow and we actually give thanks to God. So it definitely permeates uh, everything, and even the holidays. Uh, for example, Hanukkah, which is coming up uh, shortly, the holiday, it's, it's a holiday where we actually do give thanks. It's, it's mentioned as, as part of the ritual of the day. So I don't think we need a Thanksgiving because we do have so many different holidays which are expressions uh, of thanks. Uh, on a personal level, um, I thought about should I transport Thanksgiving with me to Israel or not? And as soon as I realized that not too many people do it, there are some people who on the Friday night meal, they'll they'll have the special Thanksgiving foods. But remember, the football games are all late, late at night, early morning over here, so we don't have that spirit. And uh, it's a regular day here in Israel, so it's hard to even uh, make mention of it. So I didn't bring over all the rituals with it, but I, I will tell you, there's a, I do think back to our family getting together and having a Thanksgiving meal and and uh, it is something uh, which I definitely miss on a certain level. There's something very beautiful about about that uh, tradition. One more New Testament verse about Thanksgiving is Colossians 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And as I said a moment ago, yep. we can be thankful that we always have the Lord ready to listen to us, ready to care for us, that His grace, His Love is there. We read from Lamentations 3, his mercies are new every morning. And that shouldn't make us less interested or apathetic about prayer. It should motivate us to be people of prayer because we get access to the Creator God. We divide our prayer into three sections. The first part is what we call praise. The second part is what we call uh, requests, essentially, uh, asking things of God. And then the final part is thanks, because uh, when it's all said and done, we don't know exactly how those prayers will be answered. And uh, we know there's a listening God, And um, but to, to always cement that relationship with the thank you, that we accept whatever God uh, gives to us as a, a gift and and, we're, and we must end our prayers with those expressions of thanks. We're going to get to this week's Torah portion in a moment, but I think one more interesting thought about Thanksgiving in America, that is this week that we are celebrating Thanksgiving, a national holiday. I think thankful people are humble people. Thankful people recognize that we don't deserve gifts from the Lord or His grace or His mercy, but He gives it to us anyway. And people who are demanding, people who feel like they are entitled are not thankful people, but people who are humble before the Lord are thankful people. And please, Rabbi, compare the two words for me, humility and thankfulness. Well, it's actually interesting. We do have a verse that says later on in Deuteronomy where Moses says, Anochi omed, I stand between the people and God talking about him being the intermediary. But uh, there are a lot of commentaries that actually say that anochi, which means I, focusing on oneself, that stands between human beings and God. But the ability to not focus on oneself and think outside of oneself, thinking God humbly, recognizing that this is not all about me, that enables a person to, to connect to God. If a person believes that it's all about him and it's his strengths and his abilities that have brought him success, uh, he's not going to be thanking anybody else. He's going to be thinking about himself and just pounding his own chest, so to speak. But a person who's humble, who 
realizes I can do nothing uh, without God. I, I, there's no way I can even be talking to you now uh, on the podcast. I can't be opening my eyes. I can't be enjoying anything around me without God. That's the humility which enables a person to give thanks to God. And therefore, uh, there's absolutely a, a very close relationship between the two. And uh, the first step, I think, would be working on the humility and once a person works on that humility, and that's part of the prayer process as well, praising God, turning to God for things, that humbles a person, then you're free to be able to uh, express that thanks. Let's go ahead and turn our attention to this week's parasha, the Torah portion that our rabbi has taught all of our Christian audience. That is the weekly Bible reading that Jews around the world study together. This week's parasha in Hebrew is called Vayetze, and that's the Hebrew phrase for and he left. And most of the names in the parasha are from the first few verses of the section that we're reading. This week's Torah portion, Genesis 28, verse 10 through 32 and verse 3. And there's a lot of content in there, of course, and we could choose from different stories. But I want to talk, Rabbi, about one of the famous pieces of the Torah portion. And I think it's one that children often learn because it's almost a fantasy tale. And that is, there's a ladder going from heaven to earth and Jacob has a dream. And Jacob is trying to figure out the the Lord's calling on his life. And he is traveling to see his uncle Laban in the place called Haran. And he had this dream of angels going up and down. And this comes from chapter 28 of Genesis. And last week on the program, we talked about the conflict between Jacob and Esau, his brother, and that Jacob received the blessing and the birthright. And so Esau, the older brother, was jealous or angry, and there created tension in the family. So in this part of the story, Jacob has to flee, and he's going to visit his relative. And in the middle of that, he has a dream, and the Lord shows up and speaks to him. So Rabbi, first start with the running from family conflict and hearing from the Lord in the midst of a crisis. Talk about that aspect before we actually talk about the dream itself. Yeah, Jacob is very much out there on his own, running away from home. His brother says he's going to kill him. He's out in this world he's not been part of before. He was the simple child who was sitting and studying and, and, and being spiritual in the tent. And now all of a sudden he has to go out there. And one would think he's all alone. You know, going back, I remember uh, learning, uh, had this little card that I carried in my wallet about footsteps, the whole notion of, you know, a, a man back on his life and along in the sand and you know, he always had God with him. Uh, there were two sets of footprints. When he looked at his most child parts of his life, uh, he only saw one set of footprints, and he immediately begins to criticize God and ask, how could you forsake me uh, in this time? And in reality, there was one set of footprints because God carrying him, so to speak, uh, during that time. And there's a message here. Jacob leaves, and immediately he has this dream where, putting aside the symbolism of what he saw in the dream for a moment, the message God gave to him in this dream was, I am with you. I'm giving you this land. You're leaving right now, but you're going to come back. And he actually says the words in chapter 8, verse 15. Imach, I am with you. I will guide you, guard you wherever you go. I'm going to bring you back to this land of Israel. I am not going to forsake you. 
this is a critical, critical point. Uh, certainly in Jewish faith, I have no doubt that you'll say the same in terms of the Christian faith, of God being with us in our challenging time. I think that's a very interesting point you just made about Jacob is running from a family struggle, and he feels like he's all alone, but the Lord shows up in the middle of the wilderness, and he's resting, he's tired, he's on a journey, and he feels like he's alone, but the Lord is always with him. I talked about this on our last podcast, that the covenant was made between God and the first generation, Abraham, and then to Isaac, and then to Jacob, and the fact that the Lord makes the covenant, so he makes a promise and he keeps the promise, I will never leave you or forsake you, he says. This is a living example of that. Jacob's in the middle of the wilderness. He's frustrated, he's scared, he's uncertain about the future. The Lord shows up to him, fellowships with him. And then as we read in the parashah of this week, Genesis 28 And verse 11 says he came to a certain place. He spent the night there. He took the stones of the place, put it under his head. He lay down in that place. Verse 12 says he had a dream and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Verse 13, and behold, the Lord stood above it, above the ladder and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west and the east and the north and the south. You and your descendants, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you. And this is still the Lord speaking to Jacob. I will be with you and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. Now, Rabbi, there's a lot of prophecy right in the middle of that passage right there about the Jews coming back to the land from all over the world, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But focusing on the dream, it's got to be a strange sight in Jacob's mind, a ladder reaching from heaven to earth, and angels are going up and down. And above all of that, because angels are creation just like we are, is the creator himself. What do you teach in synagogue about this ladder vision? So the critical piece is the notion of the connection between the physical realm and the spiritual realm, that we are physical beings, we live in a physical world, that's the sulam mutzav artza in the Hebrew, that's the ladder that's established, fixed into the ground, but rosho magia hashamayma, the head of that ladder, must reach up heaven, heavenward and, and must be spiritual. The goal of everything that we do in the physical world must be uh, spiritual. And we, we can't be exclusively spiritual. We can't be exclusively physical. It's finding that balance, but most importantly, channeling that physical existence to the spiritual. And the reason why God is sharing that with Jacob right now is because he's about to go out and have to work uh, be involved in the physical world very much on his own, maybe fend off uh, attacks along the way. He'll be involved in the physical, and God is telling him that's okay, but it has to be with that spiritual aim and a spiritual goal, and that's very much that symbolism of the ladder that starts on the ground but makes its way up and is, is connected to the heavens. And in the Christian faith have a similar idea? There's a phrase that comes to mind when you're talking and it's a cliche that says you can't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And what you're talking about is the connection between the spiritual realm and the earthly realm. And in a moment, we'll read the verses from Genesis 28 about 
how Jacob responds to the Lord, but I think it's a beautiful demonstration of God's grace and his mercy, his covenant keeping, when he shows up in the middle of Jacob's time of fear, his time of concern, and what does he do? He repeats the promise. And I tell our church members that if you think the Bible repeats itself a lot and you wonder why, you must not have children. Because the Lord repeats himself because we forget, like we parents have to repeat ourselves because our kids forget. It's not that the Lord forgets his promise. We forget his promise. And especially in times of trouble, we begin to wonder, God, are you still out there? God, do you still exist? Did you forget about me? And here in the middle of Jacob's family struggle and loneliness, the Lord comes back and says, again, I've made a covenant with you. Verse 15 of Genesis 28 I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So one of the reminders that we as Christians have is that when the Lord makes a promise, we need to count on it even when circumstances don't seem to agree. And, and the truth is, if there's one section in those words that you read before, which is so critical, where God says to him, I am with you. And it's in verse 15, I am with you, I will guard you. I, and we have this tradition, even during our 2,000 years of exile, uh, it wasn't that we were off on our own, but that God was with, with us there as well. The, the question, you know, where was God during the Holocaust? And many answer, he was, he was right there with us. Man was doing evil, horrible things, and, and the way we survived as a people uh, was that God was there with us, embracing us during those most difficult times. And there are stories of people who survived the Holocaust, including my own grandmother, of, of moments of open miracles where, where only God could have made certain things happen for them to survive. And that's the prophecy that we see right here in this verse. I will be with you. And then we are privileged to live in the second half of that, and I'll bring you back to the land as well, which we now see happening. So it's really quite uh, soothing and comforting to know that God is with us uh, during those challenging times, and there's no concept of just being thrown out there on our own. And that's what he's telling Jacob, and that's what applies to everyone in our times as well as they struggle through some of the challenges of life. When we bring American Christian groups to Israel, I tell them that you are getting to see prophecy fulfilled because you will see Jews from all over the world. Or as Genesis 28, 14 talks about the West, the East, the North and the South. Rabbi, I was told the first time I visited Israel that there are Jews living in the land who speak 105 different languages because they have come from all the different countries and continents of the world. And when God said, I will bring my people back to this land, you from Maryland are living out that promise of the Lord. It's a little bit overwhelming to think about that, actually, to think that uh, here you have these prophecies, both here in this week's portion and in other places in the Bible where it says straight out that God will bring us back from all around the world. And to realize that I was blessed to be part of that, that when I got on a plane in July 2004 to fly here with my family, that was literally a prophecy coming true, and it's happening regularly on a daily basis, new people, newcomers coming to Israel from all around the world, returning back home. It's literally, you know, people say, if God would only reveal himself to me openly, (laughs) this is it. It's happening right in front of our eyes uh, from all around the world, 
coming here. And for thousands of years, people of faith believed that that would happen because that's what the Bible said. We don't have to believe it anymore. It's happening right in front of our eyes. It's an absolute awareness and and, and knowledge uh, that these words are true. And it, it truly is a blessing and humbling to have been part of and to have been part and to continue to be part of that process. Our Christian audience needs to have confidence in the Word of God that when the Lord makes a promise, we can be confident he will keep his promises. And the gathering of the chosen people back to the promised land, as Dove Lippman is a living example of, is a fulfillment of many, many prophecies. We read it just now in the story from Genesis 28. There are many other examples. Jeremiah 23, the Lord says, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture and they will be fruitful and multiply. Isaiah 43, the Lord says, Fear not, I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east. I will gather you from the west. I will say to the north, Give them up. And to the south, Do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Another stat or point for our Christian audience, there are no people groups who have left their homeland and ever come back if they've been gone for more than 200 years, except one example. And we all know people who have left their homeland, people groups, sometimes voluntarily, many times involuntarily. The Native Americans are part of that in our country. But there's no example of a people group leaving their homeland and ever coming back if they've been gone for more than 200 years because they intermarry and they settle down and they start to farm and they build businesses and make homes, except one group. And that is the Jewish people who were forced out of their homeland and then 1,900 years later came back. And the only reason that example is different than the others is because God made his covenant and he keeps his covenant. Absolutely. And that, you know, we were talking about uh, Thanksgiving before. There's no greater sense of thanks than to to see that come into fruition, that to realize there's no story like this in world history, and that it's because of God's promise, and it's because that God enabled us to survive all the persecution as we were spread all around the world, and he's the one uh, who brought us back. And that's why, you know, when we talk about uh, Israeli independence, and we talk about the celebrations here, it's very much a time for re- reciting the Hallel, the giving praises to God, uh, reciting special psalms, because it, 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 we have to recognize that he's the source of it, and we have to not just recognize it, but act on it by actually giving that thanks. As we continue to read the portion from the Torah, Genesis 28, we read what the Lord said to Jacob. I want to read what Jacob says back to the Lord, starting in 28, verse 16, Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, Bethel in Hebrew, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, took the stone that he had put under his head, set it up as a pillar And poured oil on its top. He called the name of that place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. And then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take. And will give me food to eat and garments to wear. And I return to my father's house in safety. Then the Lord will be my God. This stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth 
to you. And the Christians know the term a tithe, and that's what this is talking about. And so, Rabbi, talk about the response when Jacob says, this is none other than the house of God. He said, the Lord is in this place, and I didn't even know it. Sometimes we wander away from the Father, but the Father never wanders away from us. That's exactly right. That Jacob did not know that he was in a place where God existed, where God could be, which was a holy site for the Jewish people. He was unaware uh, of where he was, and yet God made himself known to him, and Jacob immediately reacts with shock and, and, and awe. Uh, over over that reality. Uh, he thought he's leaving the land of Israel, he's wandering away, as you said it, he's going away from the source. Maybe that means that he really is off and alone and not with God, and he's shocked into that reality when he realizes and the, the terminology uh, that he uses in Hebrew uh, in those verses uh, that you described, just the achen in verse 16, he, it's, it's, a, it's a reaction of just totally being startled that God is here and, 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 and recognizing that God is always with him and reinforcing that message from before of wherever he goes, God will be there together with him. Connecting this week's Torah portion with last week's, we debated or even disagreed a little bit on the interpretation of who Jacob and Esau were. And, and I say that I see a little bit of scheming or manipulation on Jacob's part when he took the birthright and the blessing from his older brother Esau, understanding, I do, that that is in the overall plan of God because his will is always going to be accomplished. But the point I'm trying to make is we see someone who might not have been as holy or righteous as he should have been, and yet God did not leave him. God did not reject him. God still showed up here in chapter 28 in the midst of his struggle, and the Lord kept his promise. And the reaction of the person who was met by the Lord was not to run away or to disobey, but to worship and to make a vow to be faithful to the Lord. And that's the ultimate response. The ultimate response when a person comes to this uh, recognition is to recommit their faith and to put themselves in the hands of the Lord and to recognize that with whatever actions we take, and of course we have to do our part uh, in, in survival and in life, uh, to recognize that ultimately we put our hands, our fate, our, our, our future in the hands of the Lord. And that's a, a critical, critical message that we certainly see from Jacob's response. I'd like to make one more New Testament reference for our Christian audience. In this week's Torah portion, Genesis 28, verse 20. Jacob made a vow saying, if the God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. And we who follow after Jesus, who was a Jew, understand what's called the model prayer or the Lord's prayer. It comes from Matthew chapter 6 in the Gospels. And Jesus teaches part of the gospel prayer is give us this day our daily bread. And of course, Jacob understood that God would give him food and water. Jesus is teaching us to pray and trust the Lord for our daily bread. And Rabbi, this is the reminder that our worship of the Lord and our relationship with the Lord is not to be only on Shabbat for a Jew or Sunday at church for a Christian, but a daily walk with our Father. Absolutely. There's actually a source that we have that uh, the most important verse in the Bible is not any of the famous ones that we might all be familiar with. 
but it's there's a verse which says one sacrifice in the morning and one sacrifice in the afternoon, what we call the korban tamid, the continuous offering. And the commentaries explain because, yeah, it's just talking about a small sacrifice in the morning, a small one in the afternoon, but it's that continuity, it's that consistency, uh, which is ultimately what God wants. You know, sometimes we think it's the big spiritual acts, the ones that are accomplished tremendous things that we can even see. And here it is, just the daily connection that's the ultimate. And uh, we, we certainly believe in that notion of consistency, continuity. We have prayer services three times a day, going to the synagogue uh, throughout the week. Every time we eat, uh, we have set prayers uh, that we say as well, rituals throughout the day, traditions that even go as far as how to put on your shoes uh, in the right way, because we want to have reminders throughout our day that we are people of faith, that God's involved in our life, and that it should always surround us and something we can never forget. As we come to the end of this podcast on Thanksgiving week, I want to say I am thankful to the Lord for being my father. I'm thank you to Jesus for being my savior. I'm thankful for a wife. I'm thankful for six beautiful children. I'm thankful for a church family that allows me to grow with them as followers of Jesus. I'm thankful for the privilege I have to visit the land of Israel and to learn about the history of this beautiful place. I'm thankful for the word of God, the Bible, who teaches me about who my Redeemer is, and I'm thankful for wonderful friends like my friend Rabbi Dove Lipman. Thank you so much, Pastor. I'm thankful for so many of the same things uh, that you were thankful for, both in terms of the spiritual uh, and the physical, and most thankful at this moment for the experience that brings those two together, and that is living in the land of Israel. I think about what my ancestors would have given for the opportunity to breathe the air of Jerusalem for just 10 minutes, and here I am. I get in my car, and I'm living in the suburbs of Jerusalem and experience it uh, regularly. As Jews, just going back to that for a moment, and I'll end with this thought, uh, in chapter 29, verse 35, that's actually where the term Jew comes from, where Leah names her fourth child, her fourth child was Jacob, Judah, and it comes from the Hebrew source of the word todah, Yehuda, which means giving thanks, and that's who we have to be at our essence. We have to be people who are giving thanks, always recognizing uh, the good that's been given to us, and, and, and certainly not to focus on the negative and focus on all the positive, and, and my goodness, between the two of us, looking at our families, thank God, and looking at the lives that we've been blessed with, and, and all the people that we know in our communities uh, c compared to so much uh, that's out there, which is so difficult for us to see, we have so much, and uh, the appropriate response would be to be thankful, to use Thanksgiving to, to give thanks, and I again thank you uh, for the friendship that we have and for the relationship that's been established between the Jewish community and the Christian community as we realize how much light we can bring to the world if we focus on that which unites us and are willing to uh, have those friendships and bring down those barriers and I'm so thankful that we have so many listeners uh, who recognize the value of that as well. To my friend Rabbi Lipman, Happy Thanksgiving and Shabbat Shalom. Happy Thanksgiving, Shabbat Shalom to everyone as well. Thank you for joining us for the Lone Star Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new episodes are ready. Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham next time to expand your mind and encourage your soul. May the Lord bless you and draw you to himself this week.